We serve a faithful God, and He is, uh, he, is he is so consistent. Amen. The last couple of weeks, two or three weeks, I have, uh, outside of one Sunday, I have been talking to you about the work of God and um, the church in particular and how, how, he, how God fashions and uh, builds the church. Two, three weeks ago I started and then uh, was gone one weekend and I picked up last Sunday on the second part of this. And today I'm going to go a little bit, little bit farther and uh, continue on in this series of it's obvious, everyone say, it's obvious, it's obvious how the work is going. And I'm not going to take as much time today as I did last Sunday, try to catch everybody up. You'll just have to go online, go to the website, and uh, connect through our media link there, and you can listen to the first two parts of this and kind of get caught up. I will just real quickly go back and read our our text and the verses that led us to uh, what we've been talking about, and then we will pick up and go a little bit farther. So today I'm going to read out of Matthew, the 16th chapter, and verse number 6. Matthew 16, verse 6. Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, He said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. This is where we began a few weeks ago, and I've spent quite a bit of time talking to you about the misunderstanding that his disciples had. They thought Jesus was confronting them about bread. When he said to them, take heed, beware, don't, don't, don't get caught up in this, the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. They said, oh, it must be because we didn't bring bread that Jesus is talking to us about this. And then he... he came back and he said to them, you don't, you don't remember the little boy's lunch, you don't remember the thousands that have been fed with just a few loaves of bread, and, and he specified this, he got really specific when he said, you picked up baskets that, that were remaining, you went through the crowd and you gathered more in the end than I started with. So he was telling them, this isn't about bread, this isn't a bread issue, I don't have problems with bread, I can take a little bit and turn it into a lot. He was talking to them about the leaven or the, the, the small portion that can be put into bread that causes the whole lump to be affected through just a little bit of leaven. And he, in his confrontation with them, they finally came to an understanding. He's not talking about bread. 
This conversation isn't about bread, but it's about doctrine. That He wants us to be careful that we don't take a little bit of the Pharisees and Sadducees, a little bit of their doctrine. Because a little bit of their doctrine can affect everything that I am. A little bit of their doctrine, well, it might not be that bad, and I don't think they meant that. You can't take that, he said, and put it into your life without it completely affecting everything that you are. And they finally understood, oh, he's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We read 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine. So when you, when you read the Bible, I hope that through this series the last few weeks, that one thing that's standing out to you is every verse in this entire book has a doctrinal significance to it. So there isn't, well, I'm going to go read some particular verses and that's where I'll draw my doctrine from. Doctrine is only, and we think this way, that it's only contained in a, in, a, in a few or a certain amount of verses that speak particularly in a particular way that, oh yeah, that's a doctrinal verse. The truth of the matter is all Scripture, all Scripture, all Scripture, every verse here, everything that you find here is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. You can find some truth there to build your life on, okay? And like he was saying with the Pharisees, a little bit of their doctrine will affect everything. Well, the same holds true for his doctrine. Uh, you don't have to be able to memorize this and, and, and quote it from cover to cover to finally understand or know Him. You literally can only have a, a, a limited amount of knowledge in, in verses that are contained here, and from those verses you can find a foundation to build your life on. It's amazing to me. He said it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Don't think that you're going to read the Bible and not be challenged. Some people want to read it as a novel and it's entertainment and it's, it's kind of just get my mind off everything else. The, the reality is when you read this, you will be challenged. You, you could read the love story found in Song of Solomon and, and be challenged. You can read through the Psalms and read various uh, uh, writings of poetry and psalm and be challenged. Okay? You will find this consistent throughout the, the, the book that, that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Sometimes you're challenged. You read it, you hear it preached, and you leave and think, man, that, that was speaking to me. i got to do something about this. And, and you go and adjust your life because the Word of God was introduced to you. And so the Bible says that the man of God may be perfect. Why, why is it? Because He wants us to be perfect. Why do we feel challenged? Because there's things in our lives that need to change. Why, why do we feel like, man, I, I, I see myself there, but I'm not sure if I'm like, because He wants us to be better. He wants us to be perfect. I'm not 
everything I'm going to be. I'm on my way to that. So his word challenges me. And he's doing it so that the man of God may be perfect. And then it says, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So I don't know how to live. I don't know how to make the right decision. I don't know what He expects of me. I come to Him faulty. I come to Him frail. I come to Him with all of these challenges in my life. But when His Word... When His Word is introduced to me, then I began to make adjustments. And out of those adjustments comes good works. We say... Man, I've never done this before. I've never lived that way. I've never thought that way before. And then we're exposed to the Word of God, and all of a sudden, there's changes that start to happen. We wonder, how is this going on, the Word of God, that we may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works? Okay, so we covered all of that. Now, we went back to our text in Matthew, and we read right after that doctrinal bread Pharisee deal Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art... Who? John the Baptist. Some, Elias. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? That's who they say I am, but you're hanging out with me every day. Who do you say that I am? I mean, they're saying this from a distance, but you're up close. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He said to them, Who do people say that I am? And they named these prophets of old. And he said, okay, that's, that's their opinion, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. You're right. It's back to school service. You got a check, a smiley face. You got a sticker on the top of your paper there. You colored in the lines. Man, you're doing good. Let's give Peter a hand. I mean, he got all, everything right. He said, you're right. You're right. Yes, yes, Peter. He said, but flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father which is in heaven revealed this to you. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus said, and here's what I want to lift from the text here. He said, I will build my church. I will build my church. I will build it. It's a personal pronoun. So we talked about all of that, and we talked about building and, and what building. Building is denoted by activity. Um, it's ground that is purchased and land that begins to be moved and footers that are poured and walls that are built and a siding that's put on and a roof and finish. and uh, You see the process. You see a bare piece of property in a matter of a few weeks, months, or sometimes years go from nothing being there to a bustling place. People tell me about this south side of, of Aurora and out here in the Southlands area that it wasn't too many years ago that, that all of this, this wasn't here. The, the malls were not here. The 
the retail was not there. The, the, the restaurants were not there. But over the last 15 years or so, a lot of growth. But if you had not been to this area of town in the last 20 years, you'd drive through and, and look around now and say, man, I don't even recognize this place. Because it's obvious work has been going on. It's obvious that growth has happened, that attention has been given, and a purpose was in mind when it began. We're building towards something. So he said, I will build, okay, build the activity. It's personal. He said, I am going to build something. I'm not going to leave it setting there. I'm not going to ignore it or act as though it doesn't exist. I am going to actively build something there. And that's something that he said was the church. So you have the activity in the building, but the purpose is not just to, to agitate your life or adjust your life or show up in your life. God, you know, we talk about His presence is here. His presence is here, but it's not here by accident. And it's not here for any reason, like as far as, well, there's no reason at all. There's a reason He's here. So we talk, when we get together, His presence is there. Is it just about His presence being there or is there a purpose in mind? There's a purpose in mind. The Bible tells us that even in the Old Testament, it talks about in His presence there is what? Fullness. So the purpose of His presence is to fulfill your joy. His purpose is not just a, hey, God was in our midst and you go home the same way you came. You go home the same way, feeling the same. You, his presence is there so your joy may be fulfilled. And at His right hand, in His power, and in His authority, there are pleasures forevermore. He wants to take you from misery to pleasure. He wants to take you from heartache into a place of abundance and blessing. So His presence shows up with a purpose in mind. Same way with the church. He said, I will build. I will go to work to build my church. So if you're going to build a house, you don't go buy a set of plans for a, 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 a service station. You're building a house. If you're going to build a house, you don't go online and say, oh, I like those plans that show me how to, to build a silo in the middle of... No, this, that's, that's, not what you're, that's not the purpose. You want a house, so you need to get plans that will build a house. You start here, but the end result is a house. His end result is the church. So he's going to start with something here, but the purpose is not just to make you feel good and show up and hang out. He wants to build a church. And that's what he said, a church with authority, a church with power. And whatever you bind shall be bound, and whatever you loose shall be loosed. And, and then we went on. I hope you're, you're getting caught up with me here. It was said that we are, Ephesians 2, we're his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Okay, we're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There it is again. What's He doing all of this for in my life? Good works. Why is He adjusting things? Why is He changing things? Why do I feel challenged when I leave church sometimes? Because He's wanting us to get to a place of good works. Right? We're His, we're his workmanship, um, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in. So we're His workmanship. Verse 19 of Ephesians 2, it tells us that we are, 19 through 22, that we are a building fitly framed together. 
that we're a building. It all, it all makes sense, okay? I'm taking time to go back so you get the picture here. He said, I will build my church upon a revelation of who I am that comes from God, and I will give that church authority and power that the gates of hell cannot stand against that church. And so this is how he does that. We're his workmanship. He's adjusting our lives. He's changing our works. What we used to say, we would never do things. Now we're doing them. Why? Because he's working on me. He's still working on me, making me what I ought to be. He, He made the sun, the moon, the stars. He's working on me. Okay, the stars are there for a reason. The sun is there for a reason. The moon is there for a reason. It's just not aimlessly out there in space somewhere. There is a purpose. There's light. There's heat. There's gravity. There's guidance. Now, all of this is there. He builds with purpose. And so the church is no different. He's building the church. We're, we're His workmanship. He's adjusting. And it says that we are fitly framed together. And we grow unto a holy temple, okay? He's fitting us together so we can all grow together into a holy temple, like I mentioned to you with the, with the ark in Noah's day, with the tabernacle in Moses' time, with the temples that came along in Solomon's time. What was all of that about? A place for him to dwell. Okay? So the church is the place that he chooses to dwell now. And I mentioned to you that there are sometimes you go to places or you visit places and as a guest, you're not, you're not comfortable there. It's not your schedule. It's not your temperature. It's not your bed. It's not your food. You know you're only there for a day or two or a week and you're just adjusting to try to be there because in the back of your mind, you know I'm only here for a few days. I can do this. I can, I can, I can eat this. I can lay in that bed. I, I can, I, because you know I'm not going to stay there. But when you get home, man, it's nice to get home. It's your bed. The house is set up like you want it. It's your stuff. It's your groceries. It's your climate. It's your, it's your place. So you, yes, that's my home. So many people try to force God into a strange place in their life and they want Him to feel comfortable and do everything that He uh, will do and declare as God, but they're forcing Him into a place that He doesn't feel at home at. And so He's saying, I'm going to build a place where I can dwell. I'm going to build a place out of your life and this will grow into, it's going to be fitly framed together and it's going to grow into a holy temple. It's going to grow into a place of habitation where I feel at home. Man, the most uncomfortable place for God is to show up in in churches on Sunday morning where it's really not His home. There's a show, there's a production, there's a whole lot of stuff that people like, but not always what he likes. And we want to say, well, he lives here, and he really doesn't live there. He's so uncomfortable because he's not being praised, and he's not being honored, and he's not being lifted up, and he's not being glorified. And like, well, this is a it's really not. He's building us into a place where he can dwell, where he will feel at home, where his purpose can go forth out of our lives. And so we yield to the process so he can be at home in my life. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm yielding to the process 
so he can be at home in my life. Man, I hope you're getting this today. I hope you're holding on to this. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. I'll yield to the process because I want him to be at home in my life. When I say, no, I'm going to do it my way. No, I'd rather do it some other way. No, I'm not going to yield to that. Then I'm saying to him, I want you to come, but, I, but you're going to have to just do it the way I want it to be done and just make the best of it. I want him to be at home in my life. So I have to say yes to his plan and his purpose to allow that to happen. And you go on, and, and here's, here's where we are in, in this study, okay? So how, how then is this building and growth process accomplished? If that's what's going on, how is it accomplished? Before I go to other verses, I just want to, I want you to, Get this. It's accomplished through his ongoing work in my life and in your life, okay? In our yielded. Everybody say yielded. Say pliable. Pliable. Say sacrificial. Say sanctified. You may not even know what all of those words mean, but uh, whether you do or not, make something up. Act like you do today. But he does this. How does it happen? He, he does it through our yielded life. We yield to Him. We, we don't blow through all the signs and blow through all the laws and blow through everything that is there and say, I'm in the driver's seat, but we yield to Him. We surrender to Him. We're pliable where He can adjust and move things in our life. Not like, I've been around for X amount of days. I've been around for X amount of years. I've been a part of this for all this time, and, and I'm where I need... No, no, no. It doesn't matter if you live one week or, or ten years or longer from now. I have to be yielded and pliable in His hand one week from now, ten years from now, until the day He calls me out of here. I, I cannot get to the place where I think I've arrived and no more adjustment in my life. So I'm pliable, sacrificial, willing to go and pay whatever price there is to pay. And in a sanctified life, sanctified just simply means you've been set apart and you're okay with being set apart. Something that is sanctified scripturally is something, whether it was a vessel in the tabernacle plan or what, whatever, if the priest used that vessel for something specific in that whole sacrificial process, that vessel was set aside and it was sanctified for that particular use. Okay, previously it may have been something else, but when it came into the order of being used in the tabernacle at the hands of the priest, it was no longer, and I'll just use this as an example, it was no longer just a dish that you put in your cabinet in your kitchen. And let's say it's, it's a cereal bowl. Matt, you like cereal, don't you? You and Madison, you guys are cereal addicts. So... <laughs> Once that bowl has been set aside for His service, it no longer can be a cereal bowl. It's sanctified now. It can't blend and go back and forth from being in the kitchen cabinet and it's okay to fill it with frosted flakes and milk and all, and, and all the other stuff. But here's what we want to do with our life. We want Him to separate us 
for his service so he can use us, but it's real easy to blend right back into who I was before and just go back to who I was and say, but he understands, not if you're sanctified. If you're sanctified, he calls you out of one use or one purpose to a different, a holy and higher purpose. And now from that day forward, you are now sanctified for that work. It isn't that he takes you out of the mix and puts you over on the side and never uses you again. Some people get this view and thought of God that if I, if I change, then then, then my life is over. No, it, he, he sanctifies you for a greater purpose. That you're not just the same man you used to be, the same woman that you used to be, involved in the same things. Now you're set aside. So how is this work accomplished? It's accomplished through a sanctified life. It's ongoing. It isn't just, I went to the altar one time and everything's changed. No, it's every day that you live. Until the Lord calls you home, you yield to His process because He's still working on me to bring good works out of my life so it can be a place where He will inhabit. And so, Ephesians tells us this. These, these tools, okay, the tools that He uses to bring this about, the church, it's recognizable, okay? Ephesians 4 says, And He gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Am I, am I going slow enough here that you're, you're seeing this? I didn't ask for this job. I didn't go seeking this job. I ran from this job. This isn't what I wanted to do. But it's what He wanted me to do. And so for Him to be able to get the most glory out of my life, I had to yield to something I didn't want to yield to. And in the process of all of this, He put me in your life, and you didn't even ask for me. Okay? You asked for a pastor, but not me. You didn't know it was going to be me. What tools does he use? And he gave some, and he names them, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Well, when so-and-so comes through, when so-and-so preaches, it just challenges me. Don't blame it on the man. Talk to him because he said, I'm going to put some tools in here for the perfecting of the saints. Remember, that's what we're after. Fitly framed together. Growing into a holy temple, His workmanship, under good works, thoroughly furnished. The Word challenges me. You know, sometimes, sometimes God will use the tool of the person that's standing in this pulpit to adjust your life or to challenge something in your life. Don't get mad at the tool. Don't, don't get mad at what He's using. Realize, and please take this all within uh, context here today. I'm not talking about abusive, lording over, legalistic type of man-made prop, prop themselves up leadership. I'm talking about God-given and He gave. 
Some give themselves in areas because they want to be recognized as that. There's a big difference in what God gives to a church and what men just try to impose upon a church. So he said he's doing this for the perfecting of the saints. For what? For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ, the church. What is this all about? He's using these tools to build his church, to challenge us in areas where we may need to change till uh, we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more Children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of, here it is again, doctrine. This whole thing, this whole thing we've been talking about all comes back to if you believe the wrong doctrine, everything about your life will be messed up. And you will never be able to get it right. But if you can believe His doctrine, and allow His work to be accomplished in you, then the Bible said you won't be carried around to and fro like children, confused by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know what's behind all of that false doctrine? Deception. And who who operates under the cloak of deception? Satan. So this isn't something you can play with. This isn't something that you can flirt with. This isn't something that you can say, well, I don't think it has to be in everybody and all. There shouldn't be any. You better be real careful when you go down that road. Because deceptions is that, is that, feeling and thought and action that leads him to a place where he draws the line and says, deception causes you to to be seared with a hot iron, the Bible says. Deception is something you don't want to play with. Deception is something you don't want to give allegiance and attention to. And it never looks like deception in the beginning. But look at the Pharisees. They fast. They stand on the corner in front of everybody and tell everyone, I'm fasting today. I'm praying today. We, I, I know all the laws. I'm obeying everything. I'm getting everything right. Deception doesn't always come hiding in a corner looking like it's full of sin and a horrible thing. Many times deception comes to us dressed in religious clothing. It comes dressed like religion. And he said, beware of their doctrine because it affects every... Well, look at all of the good they're doing in the world. Look at all of the good they're providing. Look at all the wonderful things they're doing. But just a little bit of false doctrine affects the whole thing. That's why this is so important. (laughs) And somehow, I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why at this point, but God has me on this with our church. 
I want you to understand we're not playing games here. He's working on us. We're not all at the same place, but we're moving in the right direction. We, we all didn't show up at the same time with the same history and the same background and the same experiences. We're all coming from different places, but he's saying, if you'll let me, I'll take your life and I'll begin to adjust it and move it and change it and my word will come and you'll be with a body that you can be fitly framed together with. And before you know it, it'll be a place where my presence will dwell and I'll receive glory and people will be touched and ministered through your life. And it's obvious how the work is going. It's obvious with some people if they're moving forward in that process or going backwards. It's obvious. Either things are, are progressing or they're not. And, and, and here we go. Let me, let me move on a little bit. It says, speaking the truth in love. I'm going to preach truth. Some people stay, some people leave. Some people, amen, some people get mad. Some people get on board and some people head for the door. But really, at the end of the day, truth is truth. And all I can do is tell you that we're going to present it and preach it and speak it in love. But it's still the truth. We are who we are. We're not changing to compromise what truth is. We believe truth. This is who we are. Who God puts in the body is the one that He chooses to put in the body. But if He gives you the opportunity to be a part of the body, He's saying, take a chance. Let me adjust your life. It may not be everything that you know, but if you'll give me some time, your life will change. So we do it in love. May grow, the Bible said. You don't grow without truth. And truth without being presented in love doesn't create growth. So it grows up, grows up. He talked about children. When you're young, you're tossed to and fro and you're confused and everything everybody says affects you and, and you're worried about, well, they said this and I'm supposed to go there and that church preaches that. You finally come to a place where you say, this is truth and I'm not looking anywhere else. This is truth. Now, my responsibility is to align my life with truth and fall in love with truth and grow up. Grow, touch your neighbor and don't look at him. Just touch him and say, grow up. Grow up. You know with your children that when they're this big, the things that you can say to them isn't always the same as you can say when they're this big. Because when they're this big, they can't always handle it. But when they're this big, they better start learning to handle it. Amen? And so, He wants us to grow up. Lisa and I travel quite a bit. We've preached all over the place. And I can... Real, real quickly, real quickly, it doesn't take very long to stand in a pulpit and begin to preach as a guest speaker. I can quickly tell if that church is mature or not. Not by what they look like, okay? A lot of people will say, well, they look this way. That's a mature church. I have been... Have you ever seen grown men that are not mature? They wear suit and ties, carry a briefcase, and go, he's like, that's a mature man. And then you talk to them, and they're, and they're, and they're, in, the, they're in the basement with G.I. Joe's and comic books. I'm not even going to say everything I'm thinking right now. Or you, you see a businesswoman, has it all together, 
all the credentials and everything they need, and you try to have a five-minute conversation with them, and then all of a sudden you realize looks can be deceiving. Just because you dress it up doesn't mean it's mature. Just because you take care of everything. I got a suit and tie on. I'm not wearing my knickers. I'm going to work in a suit today, not my kindergarten uniform. Doesn't mean they're, they're mature. So, many times in the pulpit, it only takes a few minutes. And you can tell in the Spirit if this is a mature body or not. And maturity doesn't always come with age. Okay? You know, you know I'm telling you the truth. You know some people that are old that are immature. You guys know I'm telling you the truth. You, you may live with someone that way. You, you may be raising your spouse. I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Maybe their parents didn't do it and you have the responsibility, but you said I do. Enjoy it. You know, it's your lot in life. It's your thorn. I, I don't know. But then you see sometimes, have you ever, have you ever met adolescents that all of a sudden you think, man, they are mature beyond their age. You have a conversation with them and you realize, man, there's something different here. When I first saw them, I, I, didn't, I didn't think this was going to be the case. The same holds true for church and people that are in church. Some people can come and attend a place for year after year after year and never grow and be at the same place that they were when they first walked through the door years later. And then others can come, and before you know it, it, there's only a few weeks have gone by, and all of a sudden, this growth has exploded in their life. And they look back and say, I'm not the same person I was six months ago. I never dreamed. Where's, what's all this happening? God's working on our lives, and we're yielding to the process, and He's moving us forward, and He's having His way in our lives. Amen. And so, it says that, We're growing up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Here's one of the the telltale signs about maturity in in our lives, okay, as Christians and, and maturity in churches. One of the telltale signs, what Jesus said. He said, you're going to be known and you're going to be recognized by the love that you have one for another. He said, all of this is going to happen through the edifying of itself in love. Like You can't come to church and have division with people. You can't come to church and have animosity with people. You can't come to church and look down on people. You can't come to church and judge people. You can't come to church and say, they're here and I'm there and they don't believe and they're from this and they're this color or their education or they don't have the money. That's not the church. That doesn't represent the church. That's not the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what a sign says. It doesn't matter what the outside appears if there's not presence of love that goes beyond I mean I'm talking about uncanny kind of love 
that people walk in and are stunned by the love that is there. I mean, you, you, we know, we pick up on it real quick, if you're loved or not. And, and you can tell if people love one another or not. Because when you love one another, you don't abuse one another. You don't hurt one another. You don't take advantage of one another. You don't push one another down. You're not about... Love is about building. Love is about lifting. Love is about edifying. Love is about encouraging. Love is about helping. Love is about not drawing lines. And Well, there's a click in that church and there's a division. That's not a church. Quit calling it the church. It's not the church. His church doesn't have division. His church doesn't have cliques. His church doesn't have elitism. That's not his church. His church is love for one another, appreciation for one another. It doesn't matter what, how long you've been around. It doesn't matter what your level of education. It doesn't matter. You love unconditionally. It doesn't matter what their sin, their failure, their successes. It doesn't matter. You don't run through all of that and have an interview process and say, I can love them, but I can't love them because I don't agree with that sin, but I do understand that sin. That's not the church. Church is made up of people. It doesn't matter what your sin was. We've all been washed by the red blood of Jesus Christ. We've all been brought into the same body. You love, and it's built, it's evident, it's there, it's felt, it's sensed, it's seen, it's experienced. Love. Love. Man, when I was growing up, we, we sang out of the, the songbooks, the hymnals. Huh. One of the songs we would sing was, Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. Then the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, safe am I. Love. See, that's, that's, that's what the church is missing. I'm only here because of the love of God. And my number one responsibility is to let that love flow through me to someone else that walks in sinking, walks in overwhelmed, walks in, don't know how I'm going to make it. And someone say, I don't care where you've been or what you've done or what's going on. Jesus Christ loves you just like you. That's how he is building his church through the vehicle of love. Love changes everything. Love heals everything. 
Man, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity. What does it tell us? We become like a sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. Charity, God give us this kind of love. It's edifying itself in love. The whole body fitly together. We need each other. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. We need each other. We need each other. Amen. When you get critical about people, when you get critical about the church, it should be an immediate sign that you're not where you need to be. If you get judgmental, it's easy to have discussions that tear down and don't build up. If someone has that discussion with you, know that they are not where they're supposed to be with God. And know that they are disrupting the unity in the church and the health of the church and the life of the church. And as a person in the church, you and I have a responsibility to say, stop right there. I don't want to hear one more word. I'm in a body of love. I'm in a body of acceptance. I'm in a body of appreciation. I'm not going to allow this safe environment to be destroyed by critical discussions and gossip. Somebody shout amen. Because it not only hurts the church and it not only hurts the other party, but it also hurts the person doing the talking. There's no way to build a place God will live in all of that. Edification happens at the hands of love. People are edified and when you love them, when you speak positive, nothing else, nothing builds the church like love builds the church. Nothing builds people in the church like love will build people in the church. Nothing causes folks to mature and go from being children in the faith to grown-ups in the faith like loving them through the process, giving them time, giving them space, understanding where they're coming from and realize I could be in the same place, but somebody loved me. Somebody was patient with me. Somebody cared about me. Somebody gave me opportunity, love. Somebody shout love. Help us to love one another. Lord, help us to love one another. I don't want to just understand this. I want to practice it. I want to practice it with diligence. I want to practice it with reverence. Come on, it is a reverent thing to love one another. It's like when you, you know how reverent it is when you worship the Lord? It's just that reverent to someone else when you love them no matter what their mistake is. That's just how spiritual and holy it is to God. Just like you doing this and worshiping Him with hands raised and voices lifted. When you speak to a, bu- to a brother in kindness and in love and encourage them, it's the same kind of recognition. God sees that as praise. God sees that as worship. You become a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God as you love one another and build one another up. God sees that as worship. He receives that as praise because you're going beyond selfishness and self-centeredness and you're encouraging and helping and building one another. And it's obvious how the work is going in our individual lives. Because if all you can do is talk about you, then His His work isn't progressing in your life. If all you think about is you and your problem and your issues, and your situation, and you need attention, and you need help, and you need minister to, and the growth isn't happening in your life. 
They talked about him. They beat him. They abandoned him. (laughs) They ridiculed him. They belittled him. They physically abused him. And through it all, he never stopped one time and said, I just wish somebody would love me. You know what he did? He kept marching toward the cross through all of the abuse and hurt and pain because he knew what this is really about is them. And the only way I can help is if I get self out of the way and pour it all out. So it's easy to see how the work is going in our life. If we're critical, judgmental, if we're self-centered, if we're selfish, it's, it's obvious. His work is not being accomplished in your life. And instead of the building be, being erected there, it's in decay and they're putting a chain link fence around it and people are tagging it with spray paint and the, and the stained glass is busted out and the steeple's falling over in the yard and grass is growing up through the cracks in the parking lot. That's what your life looks like when you're full of selfishness, gossip, animosity. That's not His work. That's the work of deception. That's the work of the enemy telling us, it's all about you, nobody cares, you can't have all these trees out here. You poor little thing, God. That's what he did to Eve. I mean, he deceived her. I mean, God said you can't have all these, he must, there's something wrong with you. That's what the enemy does. Nobody cares about you, you've been the one sick, nobody called you. Why didn't... I've seen people go back, backslide, and give up on God because of the smallest things that the enemy blows up into. Things that are so huge and enormous, you're like, it doesn't even matter. It's obvious how the work goes in some lives. Let me stop there. Let's just stop there. Let's stand together. I want him to build Work, construct, frame, adjust, do whatever He has to do so my life will be a place that He will dwell in. So God will use me to be a blessing to other people, to help and assist and bring... Where would we be without Him? My, my, it's, it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought of where we would be without Him. Anybody feel like you just want to step out from where you're standing and come and stand with me for a moment here in the front? And-